Are you ready? Do you have all your things? I would just watching you looking at things and grabbing things. Are you set? Yes, yes. And I have my things. Okay, Everybody good. has their stuff. All right, very good. Okay. So, so many, so many, so many damn books. Okay, welcome to So Many Damn Books. I'm Christopher. I'm Drew. And we have Alexandra Kleeman joining us in the hyperspace Zoom universe. Alexandra Kleeman is the author of Intimations, a short story collection, and the novel You Too Can Have a Body Like Mine, which was a New York Times editor's choice. Her fiction has been published widely in places like The New Yorker and The Paris Review. Uh, she's the winner of the Berlin Prize and the Bard Fiction Prize, and she lives in Staten Island and teaches at the New School, and she also just released something new under the sun and as we were just discovering you were the first three pete guest <laughs> to come <laughs> on so many damn books to be honest like that's something i'm going to put on my bio uh, <laughs> <laughs> no one else has that's true you're the you were the first um and and we're so excited to have you back i'm so excited to be back like um, this is my favorite show. I like the drinks you make, Christopher. I can't <laughs> drink one of them with you, but I am drinking my genuine 100% natural water. Oh. <laughs> Open your newsfeed right now, and you're bombarded with so many choices about what to read or listen to. How can I ever find the time to read when all I'm doing is figuring out what to read next? With Scribd, you get instant access to millions of ebooks audiobooks, magazines, and more. You also get thoughtfully curated editor's picks and smart recommendations based on what you've read, which makes choosing your next book that much simpler. Anytime I have a free minute, I have so many choices to choose from. What's the new Netflix series? What podcast episode just dropped today? The same thing goes for books. Instead of standing in front of your bookshelf, waiting for a title to jump out at you, sign up for Script. You get instant access to millions of eBooks, audiobooks, magazines, and more, all with one low monthly subscription. Script allows us at Just Right Book to find exactly what we're looking for, any time of day or night. Whether it's the latest release or a backlist title we have hadn't stumbled across in years. With Scribd, the world's most fascinating library is at your fingertips, all for just $9.99 a month. Explore all your interests in any format, with millions of ebooks, audiobooks, magazines, and more. You enjoy instant access to Scribd's entire library for less than the cost of a single book. It couldn't be simpler. No complicated credits or additional purchases. With Scribd, you can access the largest digital library in the world right from your favorite device. Automated suggestions and hand-curated picks make choosing your next book easier than ever. Easily switch between titles, genres, and formats right from the app. And discover must-read new works from celebrated authors like Roxane Gay, Charles Yu, and more premiering exclusively on Scribd. Right now, Scribd is offering our listeners a free 60-day trial. Go to try.scribd.com slash smdb for your free trial. That's try.scribd.com slash smdb to get 60 days of Scribd for free. Well, let me tell you about the um, the drink that I created inspired by your novel. 
I'm calling it uh, water snazzy plus adults only. <laughs> it looks like this. And um, it's very, very blue. Yes. <laughs> it's so I when I was thinking about water, um, water, which is stylized without an E and it's all capitalized in the novel, um, I was thinking about specifically um, in the town where I grew up in Santa Clarita, California, um, there's this miniature golf course called Mount Asia. Oh. And um, they have this waterfall that is bluer than blue. Like it's the same color as this drink. <laughs> And um, I've always thought like, that's water plus, that's water with something a little extra in it. And so when, every time I was picturing water in the book, I was pictured like that weird Mount Asia water that they piped through their fake uh, waterfall. So this is basically a martini with a few dashes of blue curacao in, in it to give it its blue hue and um, I'm using California Gray Whale Gin, which is this fantastic, um, fairly new gin company that has uses only California botanicals, which is also a nice tie into the book. And yeah, it's a it's a fun drink. It it's kind of it adds like just a fruity tinge on the very end of the of a martini. So I wouldn't put an olive in this. I think that would be not correct. Um, <laughs> but I think it's a nice it's a nice cocktail. Maybe a little twist of California citrus or something like that. Yeah, yeah. just just a small slice of avocado on the rim. <laughs> I'm going to find that gin because I love the idea of local botanicals. And also, I'm such a lightweight. I can't handle most liquor, but I can drink gin because it's for sassy ladies, you know? <laughs> <laughs> That's why I drink gin. Um, it's because it's for sassy ladies. <laughs> So yeah, that's water snazzy plus in parentheses adults only. Uh, <laughs> um, and I wish I was drinking with you guys, but since I'm drinking alone, I'll just cheers the screen. And yeah, someday we'll get to do it again in person. I, I, I pray for that day. I don't pray for many things, but I pray for that. The next thing that we talk about is uh, consumerism, rampant yes. consumerism, buying things. What did you buy, Drew? Why don't you start our what'd you buy party? Okay, I've got something I bought and something I was sent. The thing I was sent is a reissue of Tanana Reeve Du's debut novel, The Between. This episode will be out in October, which means that by the time that other people are hearing this, I will only be reading things that are spooky or weird. And I've long wanted to read this book, and it's been out of print for a little while. I don't know too much about it, um, but I love Tanana Reeve's work, and I'm super stoked to read this. And then the other thing that I think I'm going to just slowly work my way through over the next several months uh, is Sarah Shulman's Let the Record Show, mm. which is her oral history of ACT UP in New York City. Um, I, it's such a like huge doorstop of a book, but I love Sarah's mind. I love the fact that she put this book together and from all accounts, it sounds like it's not just a history lesson, but it's also more or less an activism 
like workbook basically. Uh, so I'm very stoked to dive into that. Everybody loves it. They're, it's really one of these books that seems to be on everybody's list. Yeah. Alex, how about you? One thing I just bought is uh, Two Hounds um, Freedom No Pull Dog Harness. Oh. <laughs> and that's not for me. That's for my dog. Um, and she uh, has been really good at walking calmly, especially as she ages. She's now six. But um, uh, since we got back home to Staten Island, there's um, a dog park not so far from us. And she does she does have the strength to pull us 100% to the dog park. She'll use every ounce of her strength to do that. So it's back. And this time, like, um, I'm just not used to it. Like, she can pull me over. So I'm trying this. It's the highest rated dog <laughs> harness for bad dogs from the New York Times. <laughs> <laughs> is it a front clip or is it a back clip? It has both a front and back oh, clip. Oh, <laughs> And cool. the weird thing I didn't understand is they sell a leash that has two clips on it. It's like two leashes in one. And you can clip them to both parts of this harness. I don't know why you'd want to do that, but you can do it. Wow. I guess if you really need that extra stopping power. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's a strong dog that needs like a true like guide guy wires to pull it. Yeah, two clips. <laughs> this is a two clip dog. Hands. <laughs> That's great. I can't believe Jeannie's six. Yeah. <laughs> uh Christopher, what'd you buy? Um, so I we were sent very cold people by Sarah Manguso, which is out all the way. It's it's so early. This galley arrived and it comes out in February 2022. Um, mm -hmm. which I just I kind of just like holding it. It feels like it's an object from the future. Um, <laughs> but I loved Sarah Manguso's um book Ongoingness, and I just love her writing. And this is a novel that seems like it's gonna be pretty harrowing it's just like one person feeling um trapped in their small town and how that like shapes you so in for some winter fun <laughs> i think i'll since it's called very cold people i'll read it when i am a cold person um in the winter and then i went to um, a poetry reading like outdoors it was so nice in the unnameable books backyard um, which is a great Brooklyn bookstore. So it was a great poetry reading. Um, Amy Berkowitz was reading from something new that she's working on. And, um, but this poet, Sophia Dahlia, was reading from her collection, Natch. And I just loved the poems. I haven't bought poetry in a really, really long time. And um, it's a tiny little volume. It's put out by City Lights. And I'm very excited to, um, I already read a few of them and I'm just loving it. I love that sort of you read a couple and you put it down type of reading experience. Nice. So, so those are those that's what I got. Nice, nice, nice. And you listeners have all at this point purchased your copies of something new under the sun. Yes, I'm sure we you all have. Um, but Alex, can you tell the people that might not know what the book is about? Well, um, this is my second novel. It starts off as something of a Hollywood novel. It's about this guy, Patrick Hamlin, 
a novelist from the East Coast who comes to California to oversee the production of a film adaptation of one of his novels. Very exciting. Um, only when he gets there, he discovers that he's not really uh, the shot caller. He's um, more of a PA, in fact, like exactly a PA working on set alongside other PAs and his job is then to ferry around um, this uh, starlet Cassie Carter who's got the lead role in this movie and, and who is sort of a big deal, but a big deal in the past. Um, she's struggling with uh, how big a deal she is and what she does it all for. So at the same time that this is happening, um, everyone's drinking this thing called what are, I pronounce it that way because I feel like it should sound like there's something kind of cut caught in your throat mm. um and it's a manufactured water it's synthetic it's exactly or rather almost exactly like the real thing um and the almost exactly part starts causing some problems later on so it goes from being a hollywood novel to being more of a disaster film <laughs> <laughs> you've been working on this novel for a little while for most of the time that i've known you i think and I've, I've seen you working on or, or moving towards it in different ways where you're sort of like, you were focusing on climate, you were in places that were inspiring the, the writing. And I would love to hear you just talk a little bit about like the, the path towards the novel that you ended up with. Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, that's funny, you know, I have been talking about this novel for a while I'm almost like the guy in marshlands as we'll discuss <laughs> later on <laughs> um but yeah I, I feel like for me I'm at least the kind of writer who has um a project appear to her in pieces so there's some things I know first and some things I know later and one of the first things I knew is that well I want this to be about water because what more sort of precious irreplaceable resources there um and I wanted it to be set in California because this is a place that I spent time as a kid that always made a big impression on me because mostly I lived on the East Coast in sort of, um, you know, watery deciduous landscapes. And then suddenly for a period of time, I was just tossed out into um, uh, the San Gabriel Valley, huge sprawl, um, manicured lawns and very wild like rattlesnakes and coyotes sort of uh, bramble in the background in the hills. And, um, I was always curious when I was a kid, like what makes this place tick? Like if this place is actually like a sort of wild desert, why are we pretending it's like a suburban neighborhood just like any other? Why do we do that to this terrain? Um, and so this is my chance, I think, to return to that place, um, bringing with it all my usual obsessions, I guess. <laughs> and um, I started to work to tie those things together. And, you know, maybe it's apparent reading the book or, or maybe not, but it's those sorts of goals, like to explore California and the environment, and then to explore like the idea of our attempt to recreate the environment and our failure to recreate it exactly. Um, that were my starting point. And then I had to figure out like, well, who can exist in this story space? Like who can <laughs> show us something about it? Can, can you pinpoint when you started feeling like menaced by water or when you were <laughs> <laughs> well um i've always been sort of a sensitive maybe like superstitious person um i have this thing personally about water that doesn't taste right <laughs> um because uh, for example like um 
most refrigerator water doesn't taste right. Like there are some fridges that are okay and you can get water from the tap in the front, but mostly they taste like that freezer taste, which mm-hmm. is um, a little bit plasticky, but it's not quite plastic. It, it tastes cold, but that's just because of the association. It's just a foreign taste intermingled with this stuff that my body, body otherwise recognizes. So I, I will not drink from a refrigerator. And um, I always pay a lot of attention to tap water when I get in a place because whether good or bad or neutral, there's so much that you learn about a place from how the tap water tastes. Um, so, you know, I've always been attuned in that way, but <laughs> I became more attuned while writing this because one of the mini challenges I gave myself, like I always set up some main challenges and then some side quests was <laughs> to be like, <laughs> well, can I really get down the feeling of drinking water? Cause usually I think we've got it so habituated and automatized that we, we pick it up and we're like, I'm going to drink some water. And then a second later it's done and you've drunk it and you haven't really processed that experience. So like, what if I slow it down? And what if I try to get into how it feels moving down your throat and around your mouth, um, uh, which unfortunately like tends to be kind of disgusting when you slow it down and recognize <laughs> it for the first time. Yeah, it's sort so, of othering, right? Like it's an othering it experience, yeah. Yeah, and, and I mean, um, it, it's something similar to my first book. Like I think I'm, I'm really curious about what our body does for us when we're not looking you know, um, <laughs> the intelligence and all the skill and, and mechanics. Um, but uh, when you're thinking also of something that shouldn't be in your body, kind of moving through those same passageways, like it's a very unearthly feeling, I think. Like, And um, sometimes when I was writing and, and trying to get to the point like where I had the words and images and feelings that I wanted to put into the novel, um, I give myself a little panic attack thinking about like um, what it would feel like to get this fake water stuck in your throat, for example. Yeah. The yeah. language around water is so uncanny and disturbing. And I I was thinking about, um, we I asked Ruman Alam this too when he was on about Leave the World Behind. Like the word choice is so, when you read it, you are like, I never would think about water describing it this way we were also getting a new water softener put in because our tap water was really bad for and right as i was reading this book and so i was just like is this water okay like what <laughs> it does it what does it take to like choose that language that is so othering that is so unnatural mm, i know i i think like um a lot of times it's almost a um, mental N plus one exercise that you do. Like, what's the word I would normally use? Like, what are some words in the orbit of that word? And what happens when I start pulling those words in? Like, um, because mostly the way that we describe or want to describe water is such a narrow channel, kind of like um, cold, clear, crisp, smooth, like um, refreshing. (laughs) Um, And as soon as you start to leave that territory behind, I think it becomes like um, an object of curiosity. Like what is the substance now if it has this thing that water shouldn't have? What would it be like for water to move just a little too slowly? You know, like um, some other liquids we know. Um, I also thought a lot about um, water the way we use it as this 
sort of symbol of trust, trust in infrastructure and trust in government. You know, um, only rarely does the source of my water in New York, for example, come to mind. And, um, you know, that's because the water is so good. And part of the reason it's good is because it comes from upstate and development is like very restricted in a lot of ways so that we can keep that water really um, pure. Um, but even though I do that a lot with food, like where does this food come from? What's the manufacturing process? It takes extra effort for me to think about that and perform that same process with water because um, emotionally, I just think water comes from the tap and it's good. The end. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I had a similar feeling of like, I, I now can't stop thinking about because I, I like water I like water to be very cold so I like water you from the like weird waters <laughs> well <laughs> that's, that you sounds like weird strange. waters <laughs> tell me tell me no I just you know I I think that um I I just like to change water you know I love the mm. I love having a soda stream <laughs> I love the um the sort of like weird via life things where you can put like a couple drops of a flavor in it Oh, um, yeah. which is really strange and like all of this stuff that I used to sort of do with water um, I I kind of stopped after I re read your book I stopped buying those <laughs> water additives because I was just like I've said before like Brooklyn Tap is just some of the best water in the whole mm. world it's fantastic and it feels weird when you're tasting water when you're not around here and it's just like wow I'm really um I have I'm so privileged to have this delicious clear fantastic water straight from the tap in Brooklyn um so I I feel like I feel like you you did your job very well <laughs> there was this question you actually kind of posed it I'm, I'm asking going to ask you a question that you posed to yourself um <laughs> you 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 put this question out on Twitter and you were like why hasn't anyone asked me this um, and then you followed it up. It's like, is it because it might be conceived of as rude? <laughs> I, I'm curious about your answer of what would you do differently in this book if you could? Yeah. Well, you know, one of the tensions is I never wanted to write a particularly long book. My favorite books are short and very potent, I think. Um, so when I was writing, there were some places where I specifically decided oh this is outside the scope of the book and I'm not going to go there but as time has gone on I thought no I really want to go there like because I didn't go there in this book it's part of my next project and I will never um be rid of this uh task until I write it into some book or another and and that one of those was to um sort of go into Nora's belief system. She's Patrick and Allison's daughter, and she's kind of having a different experience of this whole crisis than either of her parents. Mm -hmm. And sort of thinking um, critically about things that um, her mother, who is pretty aware of ecological crisis, um, is, is not even close to um, comprehending. Like critique of the critique of modern society, that is Nora's, position at um, Earthbridge, the eco-commune that they go to to live. Um, so I, I love to create little alternate belief systems. And I think that um, one thing that this book, I think, could have 
encompassed would be um, a bit of hope about a type of world that could be built after this one. Because I do try to draw this arc that goes like long after the death of all of our characters, sort of in the far future imagined. Um, but I think the most hope for me is in the sort of world that Nora would create and would join up with others to build, um, which I sort of only hint at. Um, the other thing is, um, I, I don't know if the book could help us, I think I should have gone really ham on water all the time and, <laughs> and made some sort of challenge to myself to put it in every scene, right? real water contrasted with what are. Um, and uh, I also would have made the East Coast a flooded mess because I realized I did not aim dystopian enough in those terms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it feels sort of like the world um, scooped you a little bit. Like I am looking at California this year. I have family in California and the thing of like the idea that they are going to need privately sourced water probably like tomorrow is it suddenly doesn't feel like science fiction. It's like, oh, I, if you want to live in the middle of a fire zone, you're going to need Absolutely. this. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, um, I think that's one of the um, hazards of the near future novel is that the future is hungry and it's coming for us faster than we <laughs> thought. And so, um, for example, like just in the time that I was writing this, um, uh, private fire companies sort of became a thing. Um, trucking water into Mendocino, California. Um, uh, from a neighboring town and then ceasing to truck it in because uh, the town started to experience shortages itself and could no longer give water to Mendocino. Um, all of those things like were reported on in the news. And now, um, you know, because of my interest, um, I have people sending me photographs of strange new brands of water all the time, none of which are synthetic and, and super hazardous, I hope, but which are weird. Like there's this um, oxygenated water yes. brand that's going around now. And, yes. Um, that's, that's been going for a while. I remember um, 7-Eleven carrying this weird, because the, the bottles were spheres. So like ah. they, they didn't know like how to um, put them on the shelf. So they were in this thing and they were really hard to get out because like, cause they didn't think about like how to um, actually sell them to people. They were just like, look at this spherical bottle. Yeah. And they were hard to get out because you were grabbing many of them. Is there a weird water? <laughs> <laughs> you, you sort of went into this, but I, I'd curious if you, for you to expand on it. How, how has the literature world changed since your debut? Mm. How, how have you felt? Have you felt that? Because you're, um, you two can have a body like mine came out in 2015. It was like the last time that the world was normal ish. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. I would love to time travel back then and be like, enjoy this. Enjoy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'd love to, um, hold people close, grab them by the shoulders and say, it's all going to change. <laughs> How good you have it. <laughs> um, yeah, that's such a good question. And I think that um, there's like an answer to this question that we can't even see the whole of, right? Because I view my first book as sort of a, a peacetime book. It was a book written in the Obama days when it was, um, you know, a thing to do to turn inward and 
think about um, what composes my identity and like what are these different elements of my identity connected to both like in terms of larger systems of power and in terms of um, you know the sort of psychological tendons that hold it all together um, and uh, I think that you know obviously the beauty industry has not changed substantially so all of that um, critique would still hold but the world is just so radically different you know I, I feel like while we were looking um, climate change really snuck up on us even if we thought we were looking we were not really looking um, and I think that the literary world in a lot of ways got a lot more um, adventurous and in certain ways like I think that genre mingling is just um, an acceptable established thing and I think that um, the sort of passive creeped out female character is just every female basically <laughs> now. Um, so uh, I, I think a lot of those things happen, but I think that, you know, I'm really curious to see what happens in the next few years, because this is a time when those Trump era books that were written in the Trump times or written, I guess, in the pandemic now um, are going to start emerging. And it really puts pressure on literature um, as a possible source of of change or of organizing or of some sort of like heightened collective awareness. Um, but at the same time, I think that we're fatigued and we're so also used to some of these old um, modes of raising awareness and then critical about what they do beyond raise awareness that it may not be um, the thing. Like what I feel really excited about seeing um, is, you know, something lightly utopian um, if, if anybody spent their time in lockdown thinking of alternate ways to organize society and alternate, like, um, uh, ways that race and gender could figure in the world. Like, I, I think that this is happening all the time in, in science fiction and speculative fiction, but to see it pulled into the realm of realism, I think would be really great and could really like change what we think is possible within our lifetimes and within you know our own personal sphere of action yeah 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 that makes me think about um something cory doctorow was saying um online which is that like a utopia is not a society free from conflict it's a society prepared to be the best of themselves in a conflict yes yes yeah oh that's so beautiful <laughs> i don't I might be, I, I might have gotten the quote exactly kind of wrong, but I think that like that sentiment is just so, uh, it, yeah. it really grabbed me. Yeah. I mean, Utopia got a bad rap because so many of the Utopian novels that um, you can find involve the complete cessation of problems, right? Through like technological and social organization. And we all, we all know that's never going to happen, but definitely problems can be dealt with better yeah. than we currently <laughs> deal with them. Imagine, imagine that. Imagine. <laughs> Speaking of things that cause problems, the internet plays a fascinating part in this book, specifically around um, Cassidy's TV show, Cassie Keen. And I know that you are 
um, a huge Twin Peaks fan. And I was thinking about the ways in which the like the forums and these conversations where they're trying to put things together. And I remember doing that like around season three of Twin Peaks and being like, what does this thing mean? Could it be connected to this? Maybe it's the atomic bomb. And watching these characters do that in a positive way. But then, I mean, enough time has elapsed since season three, which I think was 2017, that now like a bunch of people on a message board talking about conspiracy theories has kind of a like a, a slightly more frightening overtone, particularly mm. as they're like, it's connected to water. It's this whole thing. The water is this. And it's it also lives in the background of the novel in a way, but it suffuses the whole novel. Did you have like the red string map of how all this stuff fit together? Or were you kind of sidelong looking like, I, there's this weird conspiracy over here that I am also frightened of? <laughs> I mean, that's such a good question. I mean, I think um, it made it in there in this whole um, Cassie Keene message board subplot where there's um, there's a division between the people who believe that Cassie Keene was going to reveal some big secrets about the world of Cassie Keene if it had been allowed to continue for another season or something. It was canceled too early for the full storyline to come out. And the people who think Cassie Keene is actually this device for pointing us to a real life conspiracy that I can only hint at and the dangerousness of that hinting um, was what got it canceled. So um, conspiracy within the world of the show and the conspiracy within the world of the world, you know? Um, and I don't know uh, which one seems less useful to you or less <laughs> generative, you know? Um, but there's so many things. Like one is that I, I love being drawn into a message board in some ways. Like I was doing the same thing that Drew was doing, Googling like what happened in the last episode of season three of Twin Peaks. And you know what? I never found it. <laughs> Nothing ever worked for me. Um, but I love sort of how immersing yourself in one of those environments, you can feel like contaminating you because at some point you're like, well, I've got something to say about this. I don't know what the right answer is, but it's definitely not bad. Let me write a smart ass <laughs> response. <laughs> and um, and uh, it, it's not helpful, but like um, it, it is sort of engaging in this way. Um, at the same time, like I was really interested in, you know, why do we feel the desire to make up conspiracies when there are so many um, real substantial cases of injustice happening in front of us right in the open you know like by contrast another thing that I read a lot about while writing this was um, uh, the water crisis in Flint Michigan where mm -hmm. uh, you know people were noticing that the water coming out of their taps was wrong it, it had a color it had a smell um, and uh, they brought this to the attention of, of the town and the town sort of responded with, no, the water is safe. We switched to a new source, but it's definitely safe. So this was something where people were noticing clues and they were bringing it to the right people. And it wasn't a conspiracy of like um, coming from the top down, like let's poison and adulterate the water supply. It was um, a crime of economy you know of wanting to cut corners of wanting to do something cheaply of not understanding how different different sources of water could be and how they would interact differently with different infrastructures um and so many of our problems i think are are caused by these sorts of 
capitalist shortcuts, you know? So why would you rather make up a whole um, <laughs> storyline <laughs> to, to satisfy that same urge for, you know, justice seeking and retribution? Like, it's a really interesting impulse to me. And so when I read about people falling down QAnon rabbit holes or something, I think like there's, you know, something we share in common, like we both sense that something is off in the world, but, mm-hmm. um, but maybe it's the measure of control that you can have over it when you're weaving a conspiracy yourself narratively and unweaving it at the same time, mm. <laughs> that I could see that being somewhat appealing, you know? Yeah, I mean, it reminds me of um, the people who uh, were making up a conspiracy about the supposed like final season of Sherlock that never got made. That was oh, an idea that they were this. like, there's a reason why the last season was so bad. <laughs> 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 it's because they were building up to this thing that they didn't get to do. It's funny because like the impulse is the same. It's like this thing, this world that we're in sucks. And maybe there's a reason that they're keeping from us. It, absolutely. And it's also that, you know, you can't, change the world so that la- that last season of um, Sherlock gets completed but you can rewrite everything around it in your own mind so that there's an an adjacent actual reality where what you believe should be the case is the case you know like I I see it as a way of decreasing cognitive dissonance that um takes a lot of time to be honest (laughs) (laughs) yeah you brought us a book with a a certain amount of cognitive dissonance Um, (laughs) you brought us marshlands by andre guide spiffy new translation out from new york review books classics and i'd love to know what what made you um suggest this book to us <laughs> well um i i read this book um over the summer you know it was in a time when i was leading up to book promotion time where um you think a lot about what's a book even for and <laughs> why do we write them and why why do they exist and and so it was like so much fun to encounter this book that really doesn't care what the reader thinks about it it just does its own thing that compounds all these contradictions and ironies that may actually not be ironies like it may be an extremely sincere book who even knows (laughs) like um but it's about um a writer unnamed who um is working on a project called marshlands it's a novel it's clearly a genius masterpiece work um but he isn't very far on it um it's sort of (laughs) unclear how far he is but um he says that he gets the idea from this passage in virgil where um one shepherd i think is talking to another shepherd and the shepherd says um well my land is full of rocks and and water and it's just generally crappy um but i'm happy here and it makes me happy to be happy (laughs) Um, (laughs) and uh, and so then um maybe the whole novel is uh, this writer trying to be happy with the project he's chosen or trying to be happy being a writer or trying to be happy being a person or trying (laughs) to um, uh, maybe just convince other people that he is actually working on a project called Marshlands. You know, it's sort of unclear, (laughs) Um, but it's full of a lot of hilarious dialogue and like 
and some little exchanges too that will probably ring true to a lot of writers out there <laughs> like at that moment towards the beginning where he's just like somebody asks him why he's writing and he's like i don't have anything better to do <laughs> so it's just like, uh -huh. yeah i i definitely i felt that i haven't said it um <laughs> but i also love um there's this little thing sort of early on where it's like one of the many prefaces to it and he says mm -hmm. before i explain my book to people i am waiting for people to explain it to me explaining something up front only limits its meaning anyway for even assuming that we know what we want to say we don't know if that is all we actually will say that stuck out to me that also um the the exchange between him and his lover where they're where she keeps saying like oh you should put that put that in your book it's good um and then he's like no everything that's in my book is already in my it's an egg it's full yes you can't add anything to an egg <laughs> <laughs> it, it's also about you know um like a this figure of the shepherd or this figure um Tyrus, who he makes as his own protagonist, like lives all alone in the marshlands in a little tower and doesn't need anything from anyone. Um, but there's no story there. So like our writer keeps having to go out to these parties that he hates and talk to people about marshlands and he's so annoyed and irritated by what they say. Um, and and yet it's as though like there's no um, book that you can actually write in isolation. You need other people to do it. Um, even if that is antithetical to your whole project. <laughs> He's so confident, which is like the only thing that doesn't ring true for all the all writers that I know. Because um, <laughs> he's just like, I know what it is. I know what it isn't like. And yeah. I'm annoyed at every party because people don't know what I know about the book that I haven't written. <laughs> I, I, I had a note in my margins where I wrote that this could have been called F-Boy Island um, because... <laughs> Because truly, he's just like messing around and like, uh, and like talking a big game without having yeah. anything to back it up. Totally. Um, and actually, like, someone should do a loose translation and a modernization. They'll call it F Boy Island, and it would be beautiful. <laughs> I mean, um, but yeah, it's like um, we do see like some little bits that he writes, but like it seems like he's starting over every time. It seems like he's getting nowhere. <laughs> Um, and you wonder, like, is he kind of a model of the ideal artist because he won't let anyone alter his vision? And that's one of the things you're supposed to uphold as a writer, kind of. Or is he, um, like, the absolute lack of that? Is he the empty shell with no nothing inside the egg, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable to me that this came out in 1895. I mean, other yeah. than like a, a couple like yeah. calling card conventions, like very few of the things that like make up the society of this novel, like don't translate. You know, that all of it yeah, seems yeah. very um, recent history to the point where it could have been like 1995 or 2005. <laughs> if you set that scene where they're all going up the stairs to the party and they're like sitting down on the benches on the different different flights of stairs and like writing sassy notes to each other. If you set that in a Brooklyn apartment building in 2021, I would believe you. Like it is a word for word. Tweeting at each other. Yeah. <laughs> they haven't gotten into the party yet. They're just tweeting about the party that they haven't gotten to yet. Yes. 
you haven't written your novel yet because you're writing it all by Twitter first. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Boy, that's um, that's a good way to never finish your book. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think that there's something about it too that rings sort of sincere to me, or it, it like connects to me on a, a deeper level, like the idea that um, you shouldn't know everything that's in your project you shouldn't have total control over it and that like when it's this sort of messy process open to other people and the inconveniences of life as like all processes inevitably are there may be things that enter if you allow them I'm like this guy who sort of shuts them down whenever a straight thought <laughs> threatens to enter his his marshlands <sighs> yeah even though like all right, we're going to go on a vacation. We're going to get out of town. And then they're like, oh, we got to get back for church, though. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was just like, oh, you guys got so close. You got so close. You got so close to having an experience that you could write about, like mm -hmm. a standalone experience. <laughs> <laughs> he does capture this. There is like this joy in talking about what you're working on. There is, there is like, there, it's a dangerous joy because you realize that like, you're gonna you you can talk about the thing that you're working on without it existing the yes. same way that if it existed like it's the mm -hmm. same yes. and like that's so dangerous because it's very it can be very satisfying to talk about the thing and have people talk about it with you even if you're like that's not it that's not right i know what it is yeah um, that it alone is a very satisfying act and i think it can sort of kill the whatever the spark was that made you want to write it in the first place you're so right and i mean i feel like there is this danger when you talk about it first that you could um explain it to someone in a way that disgusts you <laughs> and then you'll never be able to work on it again <laughs> or you could like accidentally talk yourself into like a successful point where you're like whoa i communicated it all like now mm -hmm. I no longer feel the urge to to write it, right? <laughs> yeah, it turns out I only needed eight sentences at this party in the village. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they were the right eight sentences, though. <laughs> yeah. And, and that'll be more fulfilling than, like, finishing the book ever could be. <laughs> finishing a book isn't fulfilling, not until, like, months afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think about my husband, um, Alex Gilberry, who's also a writer, because he... Um, he finished his novel while at the Norman Mailer colony. And then people were asking him, well, what are you going to write next? And so he just started saying, well, I'm writing a, a novel about Norman Mailer. And then he said it so many times for so long that he was like, I've really got to write this novel about Norman Mailer. <laughs> and then he did. So it's like a passing thing that, uh, that took years of his life. <laughs> Be careful at <laughs> <with> parties. <laughs> I completely understand that. I've, I've been joking about um, a, a self-help book that I've been saying like, oh, I'm going to work on that someday. And it, as <laughs> at, the more I talk about it, the more I'm like, is that actually a good idea and not just a party joke? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a good idea. I, for one, need self-help and I, I need it from someone who doesn't want to give me self-help. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's that's similar to how I feel about politicians. Like the the sheer act <laughs> yes. of wanting to be president should actually disqualify you. From <laughs> yeah, <job. laughs> there should be a draft, or or you should be able to collectively organize in secret and vote for a person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Want it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kicking and screaming like, oh god! And our new president is Doug, <laughs> and like cuts to some guy who's just like, no, 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 no. no. <laughs> Thank you.
I'm sorry to cut this cut this off because <laughs> I could talk to you forever, Alex. But the next thing that we always do in our show is recommendations. Do you want to start? Okay, yeah, I'll start. I am going to recommend a show. It's not many seasons long. It's just started. Um, Why the Last Man is finally airing on Hulu. And I've been watching the, like, um, production details announcements of Why the Last Man for years and years and years. Ever since I've read the series, there's been so many different iterations and directors and stars um, attached. And finally, like, it wasn't until I actually pressed play, I was like, this could be just a whole psyop. Like, this could not be. (laughs) (laughs) Because, like, I've just been, like, wanting it for so long um, because it's such a good concept. Like, all the men die except for one. And it's just women. Yeah why him and what what is everybody gonna do and so many men hold a lot of infrastructure jobs and so there's like a lot of interesting problems to solve and uh i loved the comic so much and the television series only the first three episodes have come out but oh it's gripping it's really well acted everybody in it is fantastic the person who got cast to play agent 355 is amazing um i'm just totally enraptured and it is very um gory and difficult to watch at times but it's it's a really entertaining and one of those shows that when you're you didn't realize that you were like holding your breath until like the credits and you're like oh it's good (laughs) you know it feels it feels sort of cathartic in that way so that's my recommendation is is get on the train drew do you want to go next sure i have two books uh, that are both pre-orders. One, I just decided I was going to add because I finished it over the weekend and I was thinking about Why the Last Man. It's called Manhunt by Gretchen Felker Martin. Mm-hmm. And it is a similar idea that um, something happens to all of the men, but it's it's a, a plague that they call T-Rex and it affects testosterone levels. But she's writing it from the point of view of several trans characters um, and sort of the question of how they are trying to balance their hormone levels in order to either represent themselves fully in the world or not turn into these like ravening, horrible zombie beasts while also fighting off turfs. Wow. Wow. It's, oh my God. It's like, it's brutal. It's funny. A lot of really great sex writing. Um, it just like, it was a truly live wire, wild ride of a read. Um, but the other book I read on vacation this summer, uh, and Alex, something you said earlier, like the climate change snuck up on us and it has made the literary world more ambitious. Mm -hmm. Your book certainly feels like one of the first books that's grappling with this question in a way that feels present. But Adrian Kelt's new book that's coming out in April called End of the World House. Whoa. Similarly, uh, it's one of the best depictions of sort of how we can and probably will in a very dark way adapt to, you know, that idea that like 
there's not going to be a switch. There's not going to be a thing that flips. It's just going to be this thing happens and then this thing happens. And some of it's going to be so brutally bad, but like you're still going to go with your best friend to the Louvre. Yeah. Wow. But that's the background of the novel. And then they get caught in like a strange Groundhog Day loop at the Louvre. Mm. Wow. It's it's really weird. It's really ambitious. It takes several turns that I did not expect. Um and I I keep thinking about it. Mm. And I'm pissed that it comes out in April because I'm like, oh my God, I read it in August. And so now I have to wait <laughs> so long to be able to talk to people about it. Uh, mm. I'll try to get a hold of it. Like that and the Sarah Manguso, like uh, top of my list yeah. now. <laughs> um, Alex, what about you? Yeah, you know, I was thinking, uh, I, I feel like this seems a little out of character for me, but one thing <laughs> I did is I read a biography for mm. one of the first times. Like, it's not a thing I usually do. Usually, um, I would just rather read the work of the person who is being biographed. But I read In Search of Nella Larson, a biography of the color mm. line by um, cool. this guy, George Hutchinson. And because Nella Larson is, is coming back, like there's sort of allusions to her in um, Zakia Delila Harris's The Other Black Girl, and then there's a movie adaptation that's coming out. Um, it, it also felt like a good moment to do this. Um, but it's a really long book, like 600 pages, and he does this meticulous research, like filling in tiny gaps in her life that people didn't know about that make a huge difference. Like, for example, um, uh, she claimed uh, some Danish ancestry and because um, previous researchers weren't able to find her on a ship's registry going to Denmark in the past they claimed that she made it up and was just um, purporting that she was more white to sort of raise her status and Europeanness and and make herself more cosmopolitan well this guy found her on the manifest eventually um, and then he was able to reconstruct like three years of what she did in Denmark like um, Wow. taking free classes and like seeing her relatives there and then coming back. But um, it, it really like paints a portrait, not wholly likable, but what, when does likability even matter? Um, you know, of a person who um, has been read and misread all of her life and um, sort of wrote out of frustration at being constantly misread. So it, it also felt a little bit like a mystery to me and it was really gripping at, at points because it's it's like putting a person back together through research, you know? So cool. Cool. Yeah. Wow. That sounds awesome. It's really good. I recommend it all 600 pages. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we can also very safely recommend something new under the sun your new novel everybody needs to go pick it up and read it it's it's a completely singular experience and uh and also very you know it'll really change how you feel about drinking water <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much guys this is the the best experience best part of publishing a book is to get to talk to you so i hope to do it <laughs> oh. again and make it four times someday <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the, for the people at home, um, of course, go buy Alex Lehman's work. Uh, she has three novel, uh, two novels and a short story collection that you can go pick up. Um, and also, of course, we really love when you review us on iTunes and give us five stars. And we really like when you go to our Patreon and give us money. Um, you know, we, we like to treat our Patreoners right. And, you know, Drew actually had a custom tee 
uh, mail out that went out a couple weeks, months, years. I, I don't know. Time depends on when you're listening to this, honestly. Um, and so you know, we're 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 brewing. Huh? Hey. What uh, what'll be next in that in that realm too? So, you know, if you give us ten dollars, we end up sending you something. It's if you're in the United States. <laughs> uh, anyway, so that's it. And Alex, thank you so much again for coming on the show. We so appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, guys. On.